Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. In this episode, we're going to do our first podcast related with uh, a framework, in this case, Tailwind CSS. And for this friction log, we have Rick Blaylock, who was uh, the guinea pig that went through the whole exercise <laughs> and is ready to share with us some of the findings. I think the experience was quite enlightening, so I'll let him talk a little bit about it. But first, let's talk a little bit what is Tailwind CSS. Rick, how do you explain what Tailwind CSS does and what is it for? Yeah, so I've been following Tailwind CSS, the project, for a long time and kind of always looked at it at a distance with a little bit of jealousy, like, oh, I wish I could use that in a product I'm working on or, oh, I wish I, would, I could use that in a project or whatever. And uh, so finally, when we had to build the website, the Friction Log website, I'm like, sweet, this is a perfect time <laughs> to use Tailwind. But Tailwind, like, if you go to their website, they'll say we're we're a low-level utility library or something like that. I don't remember exactly the the words that it uses, but it it, it is a low-level tail. It's a low-level CSS framework um, or library. Whereas, like, you know, like Bootstrap has tons of components and it has a bunch of javascript that goes with it and th this is very kind of simple and low level and uh, honestly i love the expressiveness of it so that's why i was like, excited about using it yeah it says um, on the website yeah, that the um, building blocks so it's low level and it will give you everything to just build it the way that you want it so i think you appreciate the flexibility of that as opposed to like you said bootstrap where you get all this big Swiss knife that has a lot of things and you probably don't need many of them or you're not going to end up using many of them. And now it's a little bit of an overkill, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, it's kind of funny when, when you come across uh, tech like this that tries to be kind of low level and, and not do everything, it ends up being more useful. You're like, oh, well, I don't need that component or, oh, I can just build this component myself and it's just as much time as it takes for me to configure this pre-built component. <laughs> so um, it's kind of like um, the world of jQuery, you know, when React came around and Angular came around and, and everybody's like, oh, but I need jQuery in my React. And and uh, once you start kind of using it, you're like, no, I actually don't need that anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so Tailwind kind of feels that way. Like, oh, I'm going to lose all this stuff from bootstrap or from you know zerb or from some of these others and uh, you don't really you, you realize the things that you don't need <laughs> that you thought you needed which is kind of cool yeah absolutely i think one of the core concepts that they bring in is it is responsive i love that one of the first things that i saw when i watch um when i read the website was the fact that they think about dark mode very popular these days one of the things that I also made sure to check was that it is uh, component-based, so it's very 
Uh, it's not like you're going to have one style and then it's going to affect the entire UI and then you're you're having a hard time trying to debug it. And then I heard that it also uses Flex, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they've got the Flex utilities and the Grid utilities, which are nice. Very nice. And it's very expressive too. Like the, for people who don't know, what this what tailwind does you put your styles or, or your you describe your layout and your styles and stuff you, you, in class names they have all these utilities for it so instead of creating some discrete class name like my class name and then going to a css file and then saying my class name display colon flex and then this is what it does and all this stuff you actually do it as classes um, in line in the class name, um, which is great. A lot of people balk at it. They'll say, oh, this looks so ugly and this is bad and this is... But honestly, it, when I got into it and started using it, I'm like, no, 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 no. I like this way better because I'm thinking about current projects I work on um, and old, older projects too, where it's like you have all this CSS and all these different files and components and stuff. And um, like, who knows what it does? You'll look at like this component or some markup and you don't know if it's flex or not or where the style's coming from. But with Tailwind, you can kind of just read it all within the HTML. And it actually makes the experience of dealing with you know, a React component or um, you know just a page or whatever. It makes it pretty readable and quick to figure out what's going on. I, I'm a fan of it. Again, some people kind of balk at it, but I think if they were to use it for a while, they'd understand that it's probably better than all the discrete classes, you know, times a thousand lines of code or whatever. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I am a big fan of less is more. And when we are talking about frameworks, not only the number of dependencies or the number of uh, packages that you have, you want to reduce that a little bit because they're all to some degree liabilities, right? And you yeah. want to have something simple, something that you want to debug, uh, that you understand what you're writing and that you can uh, scale if needed or not scale it if it's a small project. So I think that takes a lot of boxes for that. It has some transformation, some states, some support. We have tried the friction lock website on an iPad, for example, with the cursor support and it just works, right? Mm -hmm. So it is yeah. it is very modern and i haven't uh, spent a lot of time developing it i didn't do the the friction log myself but i use the friction log website that uses it and i can appreciate all of that and i can jump in and modify some of that which is great i think those are the best uh friction logs uh the best ones are the ones that you truly enjoy or the ones that you realize that the technology that you were looking at is not what you were looking for but you have those two, those friction locks where you have that middle opinion where you're like, ah, it's okay, but I'm not sure, but I'm not convinced. Those are a little bit more more difficult to really explain what is the value of it uh, and who's the target for. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, like it. this, this was a great experience um, using it for the first time. And actually, since I recorded the video and the friction log... Um, I've done two, maybe three other sites and I've done it in Tailwind and I just like, oh, I, I don't want to do any, anything else. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and are these all uh, for React applications? Yeah, everything I do is in React. 
So, I mean, if, if I did something svelte or something, I would use Tailwind too, but everything I do is React. <laughs> Great. All right. So I, I guess my, my next rigorous question is, who's the target of this product, right? Which seems obvious uh, that it is web developers. Anybody else that you can think of, is this good for, I don't know, prototyping for a UI UX designer that has a little bit of HTML knowledge? Do you think that it is good for like an integration developer that does all the backend, but then they can get this really fast? Like, who do you think is is the best um, user for this for this product, for this framework? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, honestly, it, it's CSS. So anybody who needs to use CSS, I mean, you could say, oh, anybody who needs to use CSS has to use this or should use this or whatever. But I think like your specific question is like, is it good for prototyping? It's awesome for prototyping because you don't have to have all the ceremony. You can just drop, I mean, frictionlog.com, the website, there's only a, just a few discrete CSS classes that we have. The rest of it is just using the utilities, um, which is awesome. So yeah, prototyping, it's awesome. And and, and by the way, the, the, uh, the whole discrete classes versus the Tailwind utilities is kind of a misnomer because you can use the Tailwind utilities inside your discrete classes. There's this thing, this at apply, and you can add it too. So, so you kind of have the flexibility of doing both. But yeah, I, I think it's for anybody that needs to use CSS. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, yeah, you mentioned that we don't we don't have a lot of discrete classes on the on frictionlock.com. But there is some theme configuration, right? And and we're gonna get into the details of your friction log. I'm just exploring some of the features that the framework offers out there that are really simple to set up, and that that may be something that our listeners will like to to know, to test it out, and and to really maybe, as you said, remove all those ideas that it is just too low level, and you need something else, or you need these big frameworks. Have you done any customization with themes? So they have this Tailwind config file and, and there's a couple other things too, but the Tailwind config file kind of lets you do whatever you want to do. So you can override their default classes if you want to do that. So like some of their color classes, you just override it. You can create your own all in this config file. And then um, it just to use the overloaded Steve Jobs quote, it just works from there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that config file is all you, all you want. So you can create a theme. You can, I probably should pull up the config file. You can over, overlay, override their classes. You can add, they're called directives, your own, your own custom directives and have different modes for your classes and stuff. It's pretty cool, but that's all within a config file. That is awesome. The fact that you, there is only one file where you can, just set up your project and then after that you just go through it you can customize colors you can customize even your responsive break breakpoints where if you want to took it out for whatever reason that might be something so the fact that it is in just one file and uh, that is uh great it's one of those things that i at a glance i look at it and i said this is how it's supposed to be and as you said i hope it works and in our case it does work <laughs> great 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 so for for this episode this is our first friction log episode and we want to explain a little bit what the dynamic is 
on on how we digest the one hour, two hour video that it is available on YouTube that you can go to the website and from there go to the specific videos and tags. And one of those things is we want to do it as a as an interview. So we wanna we wanna take the person that did the friction log, it could be any of us, it could be a guest, and we wanna ask some questions and dig a little bit deeper on onto some of those frictions, delights, blockers, or just general comments that you may have found using the tool and why you come up with this introduction of I really like it, I I think this is great, I have used it a couple of times, or the other way around, why it wasn't what you were expecting, which is also valid and it's all good because at the end of the day we're we're trying to bring that user experience and to show like maybe somebody will grab it and say, oh, maybe we, should, we shouldn't put this phrase on the web page because it's confusing people out there. And, and that, that is some feedback that can go out there for the community to keep making great tools, frameworks, projects. So that is, that is our format. It's going to be a little bit of an interview. All the materials are available on frictionlog.com. We're going to put the link in the show notes. Uh, so you can take a look at those and from there go to the video uh, that it is available on YouTube. And with that, what do, you, what do you say? Should we get started with this interview, Rick? Yeah, yeah. Let's go through the log. All right. So one of the things that it is most important is to understand your background. And you talk a little bit about it on your blog post, but I wanted to share with the readers that, that haven't look at it. So what is, what is your background? Like who is in this case, who is the person that, that it is doing this friction lock? Right. And so the persona that's doing this, me, so definitely well-versed in lots of front end things for well, 15 years. I don't know. I, you know, I don't consider myself like this crazy expert CSS community leader person, whatever. Chris Coyer, I'm not, <laughs> but you know, very familiar with with everything um, that's going on. So, uh, and, and I, prior to this friction log, I've actually, I ne- had never touched Tailwind. So again, I followed that. I'd follow the, the project. You know, I, I had read the core tenets before and the approach and all that, but I had never touched Tailwind ever until this friction log. So from that perspective, brand new user. And the video kind of shows that like, it's me, just me like, okay, I want to use this thing. What do I do? <laughs> Yeah, that is, uh, but that is the best. I, I think that um, knowing a little or knowing nothing about the tool really makes it uh, to be a first-time experience, which is a kind of uh, friction log that we do. There might be others, other kinds where we are more experienced with that particular tool. But for now, I think this is this is great. And then tell us a little bit about your goal. Uh, we, we have shared that this is being used in frictionlog.com. And you had already a design available. So what what was the goal of this friction log? Yeah, so I had a little quick Figma design I drew up. And I wanted to transform that into HTML and CSS using Tailwind. And then from there, I was going to make a React app out of it, which is what frictionlog.com is. So yeah, the goal was just to take that design, that Figma design, and then express it as HTML and CSS. Great. Okay, so that that is that is our goal. That is our persona. 
let's get to the logs um in the in the blog post we have 13 we might go through all of them we might not go through all of them but be sure to check them out there are some links there that are interesting for you for now i want to start with some general comments so let's talk a little bit about the documentation around the containers it was worth for you to to write it up why is that yeah so i i I kind of found it nice that the whoever wrote the documentation, I don't know if it was Adam or somebody else, they they gave credence to the fact that the person reading this probably is familiar with Bootstrap um, and Bootstrap style containers. And so, you know, they immediately point out some of the differences right away. So that, that's user empathy, right? They, they, they understand the user, where they're coming from, what the expectation is. And they recognize it and go, hey, you're probably thinking a container does this. Let me tell you what this is. So I, I, that was like one of the first things I noticed. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good experience just because I saw that. Just because I saw that instant user empathy, which is good. So the person that was writing these docs was thinking already that you're coming from a whole different perspective and a whole different set of tools and just making sure that they level you up and they don't start telling you like, hey, here's what we call a container uh, or or you move these containers this way or you can apply these, these classes to these containers. But instead they were like, I know you're coming from this end and probably 90% of the people or 80% of the people are coming there if they're using like an 80-20 rule. And that is something that you felt that you were already appreciated as, as somebody new coming in here, but with some web, web experience. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, it, it, those kind of things count for sure. Yeah, not just for the technical reason because someone's going, ah, what is this? I, I know what this means. Why is this not working? You know, so there's that reason, but also just it's just instant recognition that hey, we know who our users are, which is good. It's a good sign. Absolutely. What else? What else do you have as a as a general comment? I know you have something about um, sidebar information. You want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah. So just in general comments, one of the things, UX things I, I noticed is on the sidebar, it's like a blessing and a curse. Simultaneously, it's very helpful, the sidebar is, because you can command F and and like look for anything you, like I think there's a utility called Flex. Let me type it and boom, there it is. And so you can really find stuff really quick. So that's awesome. But then for someone like who's new um, to it, like me, I was getting a little like FOMO, if you're missing out, like, oh my goodness, there's all this stuff I need to know. And and definitely I was like, I was clicking on a utility to read about it because I needed it. And then I'm like, oh wait, that one over there, what does that do? And I click on that and I get into like, I'm clicking and reading and clicking and reading. I'm clicking and reading. That's not a bad thing per se, because that's like a user discovering things and stuff. But on the negative side of it, that can feel daunting to a newcomer. So there, you know, there's a thing called Hicks law. And so you got to be careful and cognizant of, of Hicks law. And uh, it, not that the sidebar like violates Hicks bar because at the or Hicks law, Hicks bar, Hicks law and bar <laughs> Hicks law. But at, you know, at the top of the sidebar, there is like this specific section. Um, actually, I think they've even redone the sidebar since I did the video, but there is a specific section for newcomers to learn things and do stuff. Um, but then they have everything else on the sidebar too. Hicks Law. One of the things that we wanted to share with you and we mentioned on our first episode is we want you to 
understand also the science behind these experiments that we're doing, these friction logs, and some of the things that we're looking at when we do these recordings and when we annotate each of these delights or frictions, blockers, or just general comments. So we wanted to start with one called um, Hicks Law, which we mentioned in this very episode. And we want to give you a little bit of a deep dive on that. So, Rick, can you give us the summary of what the Hicks Law is? Yeah, sure. So Hicks Law, or the Hick-Hyman Law, it was named after a British psychologist named William Hick and uh, Ray Hyman, actually, in the 1950s. And the law just states that the time it, the time it takes to make a decision increases with the number and complexity of choices. It, actually, there's a whole algorithm for it. You can go look it up, the algorithm for Hick's Law. But the, the point is, in order to get around that problem, that the time it takes to make a decision gets more, you know, increases with the number and complexity of choices, so that means simplified choices for the user, break down complex things, avoid presenting a bunch of stuff and overwhelming users to where they just get stuck dead in their tracks, and then you know progressively enhance or progressively show them complex things. That's uh, that's how you get around Hicks Law. A, a great example of that actually is there's a really cool form building company called Typeform, if you've ever seen it. And what they do is they take multi-step forms and they make it so simple. And that, that's a great example of kind of overcoming Hicks Law, whereas, you know, you come to, imagine coming to like an insurance form and you see, you know, 300 fields that you have to fill out. It's so overwhelming. It's, it's you know, it's just daunting. But you come to a type form type thing, and it's it just feels liberating. You're like, oh, okay, I'll do this. Oh, okay, I'll do this next. Oh, I'll do this next. So that's a great example of getting around Hicks Law. Another great example is what TurboTax and those companies do when, when doing taxes, right? So if you look at the tax forms in the U.S., it is it is daunting to fill them out just by themselves and prepare taxes. And a lot of people either buy one of these solutions or they will go to their accountant. But if you use any of those, then they present a totally different UI or, or UX where they take you step by step. Right. Uh, and you just have to complete each task and you can even stop whenever you need to stop as opposed to here's your form fill it out, do your taxes, and let's hope everything goes okay. So that that is another example that I have very yep. present as somebody <laughs> that, that moved to the U.S. a few years ago. That is something that I have there. And this is not new. We're talking about the law uh, or, or this study, this experiment that is started by, by William Edmund Hick and Ray Hyman. It's, it goes back to 1952. So it was before all these web experiences uh-huh. and mobile experiences, there's an algorithm for it. it. Makes sense when you when you read it and when you explain it. Like it all makes sense for everybody and for every developer, technical person says, "Oh yes, the more options or choices, the more complex it is, the more time it takes to, for somebody to make a decision." And if I want to have somebody that goes through my product and really likes it and it has to be easier to use then I got to structure the information in a different way, which is uh, simplifying those choices. There are some other takeaways that we're going to link to it that include like avoiding the overwhelming 
filling on your users. Uh, you can highlight some options to say, hey, you are new on this website or you are new in this tool. Here is the one option you wanted to click right now so you learn a little bit about the tool and then let it go. Um, a lot of text editors like Markdown editors do that when, when you start. And then, of course, have this onboarding process where you know that your user is not an expert on, on something and you want to guide them without really uh, giving them too much or too little to start with. Yep, exactly. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Cesar. Okay, so I, I think you touch a very interesting point where the more... I guess the more senior you are, you you say you already have 15 years on doing web development to some degree. It is it is one of those things that I experienced myself as well, where you see all these docs, and when you start building something, building blogs, uh, starting with the CSS, you have this feeling or this in the back of your head because you saw all the docs like, what if there is a better way to do this, and I'm just not doing it right since the beginning. And I think that that happens a lot with uh, seasoned developers just uh, in general, because we know better. And one of the things that I uh, saw you, I think, uh, commenting these days on Twitter was around, we try to optimize before we even build whatever we're trying to build. And and that is triggering that that feeling that you're missing out on on some of the things that you could be using that could be simpler or could be better or <laughs> right, whatnot, right? right. right? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's so true. There, there's actually, there's an interesting exception to Hicks Law. And the exception, the biggest exception is a user may already have made a decision before seeing all a bunch of options and stimuli. So like in that case, if there's a ton of options, it kind of doesn't matter because the user's already made up his mind. I'm looking for this and I don't care about anything else. But when you're in discovery mode, if there's too many options, it, it can be overwhelming. So at this point, you're using more the exception, right? Where you know you know the framework enough to for your second or your third project, you are already going and you appreciate all those options and you can search through them. You mentioned that it was really nice, the command F shortcut. So you're already on that that side of the exception, but at the beginning it was worth mentioning it as a, as a just a general log, I guess. Yeah, right. Yep, hundred percent. Great. For now, let's move to to some of those interesting uh, things that we call frictions, and we talked a little bit about it uh, on our previous episode. But let's let's get some examples out there. So your first friction is regarding the installation and the get getting started guide and you mentioned that um, it already assumes that you know what a directive is but you may think a directive might be something different if you come from for example the angular world uh, world <laughs> right right so why why was that can you elaborate a little bit on that well so yeah so the installation guide is actually pretty good but it, it makes some big assumptions it assumes that you already have a project set up so it assumes that you already have like a react app or you started up a create react app or something so that's an assumption uh, especially again like for me i had zero i, I started that video with nothing on, on purpose and so i had to go you know set up a project and do a couple of things there was a couple words and things like the word directive and, and Tailwind has these things called directives. And um, 
it was it was using that word like I knew what it was. And honestly, Google is very uh, guilty of this with Angular, with Android SDK and stuff. They use these words and these terms, and they they're just overloaded. Um, and now, now, granted, you can just go to Tailwind search and type directive and you'll find out what that means. It's, it's not like it's hard to find, but it was definitely an assumption that they knew that, you know, the user knew what that was. So that was, a, that was a little bit of a friction because I had to stop. I stopped the project or the installation guide. I'm like, all right, let me set up my project. And then I started up again. And then they, you know, I can't remember all the terms. One of them was directive and They'd say those things, and I'm like, "All right, let me stop. Let me go look up what that is." So, you know, the, 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 again, like with with friction logging, you log any kind of friction, whether it's really big or itty bitty, and that's just kind of itty bitty friction that I noticed. And then, likewise, some of the other friction that kind of goes with that is in the getting started part was just finding a good project starting point. The playground repo that was available, um, that's a good place to start, but it wasn't really clear, like, if that is that really what I should be using or is that a playground? Um, like, I, wh- where do I go? So I, I found a Create React App plus Tailwind starter as a starter starting point. Now that I've done it at like two or three times now, I would probably just do it from scratch. But, yeah, I didn't know. I just wanted to get started. I wanted to get as fast as I could building out this design. So there's a little bit of churn. You'll see in the video, there's a little bit of churn to me kind of like, Oh, where do I go? When do I start with this or with this or that? So, so it's all around. Okay. Um, stuff. That is, that is interesting indeed. And then the friction log Um, I don't know if we have mentioned it in this episode. I'm sure we did it on the previous one. It is powered by Next.js. So there was a little bit of that that you had to do afterwards. And I assume you were already thinking of like, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah, my goal right now is to create HTML and CSS out of this design. But then you're already thinking on what's coming next and not seeing that guidance. That was also something that, that I'm sure people will notice on the video. Like, what do I, how do I make sure that I can use this farther than just, just, I guess this video, right? Yeah. yeah um, right. Okay. Once you were set up those couple of frictions and then you were kind of like up and running, I see that the logs start to be a little bit different now where you're talking a little bit about the Visual Studio uh, code command click doesn't oh, do yeah, anything. Right. And at this point, so what happened? Yeah, that, that, that was an expectation. So now... Caveat it with this was done. I don't remember when I did this video a month ago or something, but this was before they released the their new plugin. So maybe it works better now, or I, I don't know. But there's a couple of user expectations. Like you, you can mouse over like a core file or a style or something, and then command mouse over, and it'll show you like, hey, you can click on this to jump to where it's defined or whatever. But it doesn't do anything. So that, that was like a minor like user expectation. Like, oh, I expect this to go somewhere and it doesn't. It, it, VS Code couldn't figure out where to go to look it up. So that, that was very minor, yeah. but something I did notice. And I think they they heard you. So again, they they are definitely looking out to see what's what's happening. I don't know if you even tweet about it or something, but they released a few days ago, I would say, or like two, three weeks ago, 
the Tailwind CSS IntelliSense packet for for Visual Studio Code, which at the point of this recording, it has 105,000 installs. So there's definitely nice. a community out there. And and I made sure I check it out before. It's currently on version 0.4.1. So your your friction was already heard. And, and I think that that's good. I did install it myself when I was doing a little bit of work on the website. And it does work. It's it's quite nice. So that is, again, it's, it's interesting because if you go and watch that portion of the recording, you will see like where the expectation was. Now it's fixed and now you, you, you're not going to see it anymore. But those are the kind of things that as a user, you, you would expect it. And, and this is definitely not a, a friction log around code uh, editors. But Visual Studio Code is out there and it's one of the populars and it does generate some expectations from from the tools that we use to build uh, web applications. So interesting. And then Perch CSS. So you set up your project, you kind of like start playing a little bit with it. You were already trying to get some uh, use out of your code editor and then you reach the fact that the Tailwind CSS assumes that you already know what Perch CSS was, but you didn't, correct? Yeah, yeah, that was that, that falls under one of those. It assumed I knew what a directive was. It assumed I knew what, and Perch CSS is one of those assumptions. It's just like, oh yeah, Perch CSS will do this and that, and you got to do this, and it's like, okay, what's Perch CSS? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what is now? Yeah, I do, but I didn't. I mean, it's kind of baked into the name Perch CSS, but. I, you know, I, that was, again, like, I didn't know what it was, so I had to go look it up. <laughs> so to me, I, I, I haven't really looked it up myself, right? But I assume that it, it makes sure that no garbage CSS gets in your build whenever you, you build your application, right? Yep. It purges yeah. all it of it, it the unused CSS. Okay. Yep. But I assume there is a little bit of a configuration thing that it made you, it made you log it as a little friction, Yep. We have and, another and one actually regarding... it didn't even yeah. work for me with the next J now there's no next JS in this video and this friction log, but in another friction log when we're actually moving this to next JS so we could deploy it on Vercel, I couldn't get it to work initially either. But that's that's not a tailwind problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That that yeah, it, that is as you start adding more functionality, that's when tools and frameworks get tested, right? There's so much you can do in a couple of hours in your initial friction log. You have another friction related to IntelliSense, which we talk about. And then there's another one around the community started kit. What is that kit and why you got some of the warnings? Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it was the, did they call it the community started kit still? I don't remember. I think it was the playground. I, I pulled it down tried to run it and um it, it wasn't it wasn't clear if i should continue using it i guess that's what i should say it wasn't obvious because i think the commits were from months ago maybe even a year ago i don't remember exactly and it was like is this out of date is this still being used should i use this why am i getting these warnings i probably shouldn't be getting these warnings that was kind of the friction there it was like i wasn't sure what to do with it You'll see it on the video too. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I do, and I, and I actually click on it, and it is the playground. It does read at the bottom, like it says building for production, and it does have like, even though this isn't necessarily a story kit for a proper project, I think that definitely triggers something on your head. Uh, and then, yes, the commits are a little bit more than a year ago, although there was an update on the package JSON. But other than that, it's a little bit old, and I can see that you you like it will trigger that on on anybody. So that is good, especially because we got re- new releases of Tailwind CSS since. So that is that is interesting. Um, oh, so it's, you okay. get the GitHub up now. It says that it's not supposed to be used for a, a starting point. Yeah, uh, it was it was an exact quote. Um, yeah. <laughs> Starting well, quote, even though this isn't necessarily the... a start to kit for a proper project. <laughs> okay. And right. then continue with something. Who reads the readme's anyway? Come on, Cesar. <laughs> Reading Especially hard. when they're like that. <laughs> I, I don't read them <laughs> at the most. I know there is an NPM install or, or JARN, and yeah, that's yeah, about right, it. Right, right. So That's the readme. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is like. It, if that doesn't work, then I'll definitely uh, read it and I'll I'll check the issues and whatnot. Good, good. Dark mode, that is another friction around dark mode. It's one of those features that I myself like and that I, that I saw it and I was like, oh my God, this is so nice. And I had to do some tweaks at some point to the website. And without knowing Tailwind as you know it, it was really nice for me to, to just go and do it. But you have a friction here. It says that it is not supported out of the box. Well, at, so, the, at the time, what, I think it might now. Actually, I think I think I remember seeing something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about it. So that might not be true anymore. But I had to install a Tailwind CSS Dark Mode plugin because it didn't come with it. And there's these things in Tailwind called variants, and so it added a variant for Dark Mode where I could. Uh, target the dark mode stuff and so again like it it wasn't clear should i use like this plugin or this plugin or you know some of them were had a lot of shortcomings but after googling around i found a good post it's it's on the blog post you can see it a good post on on using it so interesting and and along those lines um you got a blocker on the fonts what happened with the fonts you know, that was a that was a brain fart on my side afterwards. It was just one of those things I was doing this friction log late at night and I'm getting tired and I read the post, the docs about adding fonts and you know, adding things to the body or the HTML and stuff like that. And I kind of, it, it didn't register in my head that, oh yeah, this is how you would do your fonts. It, it's just really stupid, simple. And so I ended up just Googling it. I found a post and then... I fixed it, but it was definitely a blocker. It, it stopped me dead in my tracks. (laughs) Yeah. And it can happen, right? So it is, uh, as you said, you were probably tired or not, or it was too early or too late. And then we get into this and then we all make assumptions of what a framework or what a tool can or cannot do based on our experience. And it's good to recognize those and it's good to call them out and say, oh, I actually made the mistake of doing this or I made the mistake of not reading the readme, which does happen to all of us. 
and and it's good to call them out and and I'm sure you're not gonna forget about that one. That is that is <laughs> some something good. We have a a couple more to go. Um, I think maybe two or three more responsive snippets. These are delights. So this is something that you really like. There are three, they're responsive snippets, uh, great examples, and the ecosystem. So talk to me a little bit about what you consider a delight and and then a little bit about these three, which which I think they're worth calling out. Yeah. So delights are, they're not frictions. They're the opposite of that. They're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Or you know, principle of least astonishment or, you know, stuff like that. We're like, oh, this is cool. Or, oh, this works the way exactly how I thought it should work and that kind of thing. So that's what a delight is. And they can be as small or as big as, you know, just like frictions can be small as big as they need to be. So one of them was the responsive snippers. It's really cool on the documentation site where you can click like the iPad or the iPhone or the desktop and it shows you the behavior and it highlights the CSS classes that would be used to do that behavior. So I just, I just thought it was a really cool detail. It's, it's nice to see details and you know, it, it's a very common thing. Like I must've used it. I used it the whole time. So it's useful. <laughs> I like that. Another big delight was the examples are fantastic. Every utility has like these really easy and quick to understand examples. Like you can just consume it in a matter of seconds, which is good because you can skim things really fast and look for what you need and then jump and bail from there, which is great. Love that. And the other one, honestly, was just the ecosystem. The ecosystem, uh, the plugin system is, uh, is awesome, which speaks to the health of Tailwind that so many people are writing plugins and stuff um, for it, which I love. It's awesome. Awesome. That that is great. And and I think it gives us a good sample of the things that we're looking at and and how your experience was during these two hours. Obviously you have a ton more experience now on on the framework. And it, it is a success because it is in production in the Friction Lab website. So it's something that is actively being used. And at the end of the day, that's the whole purpose of what we do this friction log. So um, to close it out, I want to ask you, um, do you have any examples of what use cases Tailwind CSS is good for? And some of the ones that either you don't know or you don't think they're good, like we can be size of applications. It can be like going from like blogs to personal sites to really enterprise applications. Mm-hmm. It can be anything. So I just want you to share with the, with our listeners, like if you have these kind of projects, right. you should definitely check it out. If you have this level of complexity or this level of use cases, and you already have like you're you are already using um, such and such framework, you might not want to use it for this project. You might want to use it for something else. What what advice can you give us? Yeah, around that, that's a good question. And I think the answer is I don't know you know, from experience yet. My sense is I want to use it everywhere and all the time. That's kind of my sense. But that, you know, that might be like the, you know, how us as engineers and developers, sometimes we get hooked on the latest, greatest or whatever, the tool, whatever that is. And we're like, oh, this tool does everything. I want to use this thing. So I, I, I feel like it's portable enough to use in large teams 
across hundreds of developers in a, in a company or whatever, it feels that way because the conventions are, are pretty straightforward and it's pluggable. You can write your own plugins and stuff, but it's simple enough to work, you know, like for frictionlog.com spun it up really quick. <laughs> so I, I, again, I don't have the experience like on a, I imagine you're an enterprise, you got hundreds of developers that you're trying to, you know, serve, uh, serve from a developer ex experience and productivity perspective, I think Tailwind would work there, but I just don't have the experience um, to know yet. Maybe ask me that in a year or so, and if I can make that happen, then uh, I'll have a different opinion. But it feels like it would scale really well across a big team. Yeah, the, the architecture and the design principles on how you implement it, I think it has the capability to scale. Like any other open source project, it also depends on the community. It also depends on the plugins. But so far, I'm happy to to hear that you recommend this, that you want to use it everywhere. As you said, we as developers will go and and grab something that we really like. And, and I remember both you and I were hooked up on Vue.js for, for quite a while, and we were doing applications with it. And I really like the framework. And then at some point you move to React and then everything is React for a little while. But it is part of, of the nature of it. So right. I'm happy to hear that. I want to thank you very much to go through through a lot of detail on, on this. I hope by the next episode we can switch places and you will be interviewing me. <laughs> uh, or maybe we do a follow-up on, on Next.js and I continue to interview you. I hope our listeners really give it a try. Let us know what you think about it. Of course, your feedback is very important to us. And and for now, we can close out this first-time experience of Tailwind CSS. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, thank you, Cesar. Well, that's all for today's episode of Friction Log. Thank you for listening, and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, frictionlog.com. Adiós, amigos.